high in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon, welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground in mortality because, after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea? Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling, there is a river, the streams that shall make glad, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heavens. I will be exalted in the earth. My guest today is Jill Murphy-Long, a Portland-based filmmaker, storyteller, and brain tumor survivor. On March 28, 1979, at only 15 years old, she was delivering the York Dispatch newspaper to her neighborhood of Sleepy Pen Oaks, South Pennsylvania, less than 13 miles from the Three Mile Island nuclear power plant. Her younger brother Mike was outside as well that day, the day Three Mile Island nuclear power plant melted down. Her projects provide an element of much-needed hope at a time when the environment is increasingly imperiled by man-made disaster. But rather than focus on dire statistics, Jill highlights the successful stories of ordinary citizens. So Jill, you're among the residents and families affected by the radiation released by Three Mile Island, and it has really been called the most significant accident in U.S. commercial nuclear power plant history, which is huge. And you were there and you survived. Tell us about that day. Well, as a typical teenager, I was oblivious at the time. My brother and I were both athletes and we had track practice after school. So we were outside on that Wednesday, March 28th, then came home, as you said, and we delivered the newspaper as we did every evening. And then we started hearing the news. My parents were quite upset and quite worried, and they had kind of heated discussion behind closed doors, but we got the gist of it. Mom wanted to leave right away. She was like, this is crazy. We need to get out of here. We don't know what's going on. I don't want to wait and see what happens to us. Let's go. And we had family up in the northern part of Pennsylvania, um, Dunmore, Scranton area, so we were going to head that way. But my father, who was the assistant superintendent down in, at the high school in Glen Rock, which is about 25 miles south of Three Mile Island, was in charge of setting up the Red Cross Emergency Evacuation Center. So he felt obligated to his job and to his community and to the pregnant women and children who were going to be coming there to make sure that was ready to go. So we did not evacuate until Friday and after work. So, again, my mother wasn't too happy with that scenario, but that's what happened. So a meltdown, it's really serious. There's that potential for the radioactive materials that breaches containment, and it also all escapes into the environment, which really results in that radioactive contamination and the fallout, which potentially leads to radiation poisoning of people and animals and streams and water and the planet. Um, That's amazing to think that that happened right in your neighborhood. Right, and our neighborhood was up on the hill, so we got hit pretty hard. And knowing that my neighbors for six years, having delivered the newspaper there, I went home in 2016 and 
I had heard a lot from friends and with social media. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's a curse. But in this case, it was good because a lot of friends I hadn't spoken to since graduation were reaching out to me going, do you know so-and-so died of brain cancer? Do you know your boyfriend died of leukemia? Do you know another classmate just passed a brain cancer? And I'm like, what? What? You know, we're too young. I was diagnosed at 49, and a lot of this news was coming in about 10 years prior to that. Then my brother got sick in the span of three years. He was first diagnosed with a brain tumor and then skin cancer. And then the same year I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, he was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And I'm like, okay, this is really, what is going on? What is the common denominator here? He and I are quite active. I ski 100 days a year. I used to. I lived in Colorado, and I biked 100-mile bike ride. So I'm kind of a maniac. I love to play. I love to be outside. So if I do get hurt, it's self-inflicted. I, I have an accident. But never on any prescription pills. My brother either. Um, we had gardens growing up. We ate organically before that word was even in our language. Um, so we, he and I were both mystified as to why. Why we? Why were we sick? And then I started asking about my neighbors and friends, and the more I asked, the more they told me. So when I went home in 2016, I went around and knocked on doors, and again, I got the same news I was hearing, got confirmation on that, that many, many people, not only in York County, but the four surrounding counties, Lancaster, Dalton, Cumberland, and York County, people are very sick. So it wasn't an isolated incident. It was a repeated story. So after finding out the incidences of cancer and the neurological diseases and brain tumors that didn't seem very normal, you pretty much knew this was a direct relation to the 1979 nuclear accident there at Three Mile Island? Well, as a writer, I mean, I started as a wordsmith, as the nuclear industry has. They have a great PR machine. So I started doing some research because that's what I did as a, a copywriter when I had an ad agency in Los Angeles, as an author of my nonfiction books, as an author of novels. I always base it in truth, always base it in research because I find it fascinating. So I sat down and started reading the Presidential Commission report on the accident at Three Mile Island, and it's like a 178-page document. So I'm reading it and reading it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Then, you know, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm hitting my husband in bed going, you won't believe what they did. And he's like, can you put that down? Can you go to bed? So I read that, and I read everything on Chernobyl. I read everything on Fukushima. I read everything that I could find on Three Mile Island. And then I started asking neighbors and friends and people I didn't know. I set up a web page. And I'm calling it a cancer cluster map, but I really should just call it a TMI diagnosis because it's just not cancer. As you said, it's, it's neuro neurological diseases, it's brain tumors, there's a whole host of um, diseases that come from being exposed to, now it's radiation, but they call it iodine radiation, and then there's radioactive isotopes. So deliberately they try to confuse the, the matter. But in researching where this has happened in other countries and other places in the United States and researching what the Department of Veteran Affairs does acknowledge, they acknowledge that iodine radiation causes 21 cancers of the soft organs. They recognize, it's on their webpage. So again, just cross-referencing and digging deeper and deeper, it just looks really obvious. Again, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a nuclear physicist or a nuclear engineer, but you can't deny the numbers. You can't deny the facts that something happened. And the only constant, and, I, you know, a lot of people question what I'm saying, but the, the constant is nuclear. From 1939, when the Manhattan Project first began in Hanford, just up the road from me now in Washington, they had 30 locations throughout the United States that were processing uranium to make nuclear bombs. So, again, you can call it atomic bomb, A-bomb, or nuclear. Same word, 
But again, it's like Portland. We name our streets three different things. So you get confused. Mm. Am I on Powell? Am I on 26? Am I on Mountain Hood Boulevard? Same thing with nuclear. It's not that complicated, but they make it that deliberately confusing. So in just researching it, it's, it was mind-boggling what was going on. And the good news is recently, in 2017, Dr. David Goldenberg, because the molecular medical study is now available, can test, and his specialty was thyroid cancer, test thyroid tumors and deduct, deduct, sorry, <laughs> deduct the radioactive birth date of when that thyroid gland was affected, and he traced it back to Three Mile Island. So we are now starting to present proof. But again, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is very large, very powerful, it's 415 operating nuclear reactors in the world, 99 in the United States, five in my state of Pennsylvania, three on the Susquehanna River, which is the drinking water to six million people. You start drawing circles and adding it up, and the numbers just can't lie. And the reason why they were able to get away with this for so long is that when you're exposed to radiation, when you're exposed to iodine radiation, it causes it's, it's latent in its effect, it shows up 25, 30, 40 years later. And that's what we're looking at now. March 28th of this year will be 40 years. And unfortunately, the numbers of people with cancer and neurological diseases and brain tumors keeps escalating. And they're quick to point at cell phones. They're quick to point at Monsanto. They're quick to point at other keys, other reasons why we may be sick. But again, the constant is nuclear. We bomb the heck out of our deserts and Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada. We bombed the heck out of the Pacific Ocean, Marshall Islands, Bikini Islands. Fukushima just melted down, a triple meltdown in 2011. Fukushima, um, Chernobyl, 1986. We have it everywhere. Yeah, Three Mile Island was the first nuclear disaster in the United States, but just recently the Susanna Field nuclear site, which has been closed down, but you can't. Here's a big problem. There's nothing to do with nuclear waste. It, it has a half-life of 24,100 years, plutonium-239. You, We have no place to store it. They never had that in their plan. They never had that in their game plan. So that's what's really disturbing. In addition to us being exposed and seeing the ramifications now, 40 years later, the long-term, the legacy of nuclear is there's no place to store it safely. And then how do they really go about cleaning up after a nuclear disaster over time? It took them 14 years to, to de, as they call it, decommission Unit 2. There was two nuclear reactors on an island, the sandbar, in the middle of the Susquehanna River, 10 miles south of Harrisburg International Airport, and right across the river is another airport. They're not supposed to build that close to a major population area, like a capital. Harrisburg is the capital of Pennsylvania. So they would just take the fuel rods out of the reactor every 18 months to three years, they have to replace them, and they're super hot. You base, basically, nuclear is uh, kind of a dangerous and expensive way to boil water. So they remove the fuel rods, and they soak them. They cool them down in these huge pools, which kind of give you an eerie blue. So, again, you can Google spent, spent meaning used, spent fuel rods, and they cool them down from anywhere from two to seven years. Then they have to chop them up, put them in industrial barrels, and then ship them somewhere like the Idaho National Laboratory, which is based in Idaho on top of the Snake River Aquifer. That piece of land out there is about 800 square, almost 900 square miles, and people out there are very sick. And they finally put a fence up around it, but they used to give tours. Elementary school kids used to go toward, you know, the brand new energy source of the future. 
So again, it's just everywhere. Um, and I just get very upset because my friends and family are sick. But also, what about the future generation? Why do so many babies and children have cancer now? What What's happening? What's in our water? What's in our soil? And unfortunately, the moms and fathers have been affected. Anyone that was around in 1979 near Three Mile Island, it affects the second generation. In case in point, my high school, York Central, again, about 12 miles south of Three Mile Island, that was also another Red Cross evacuation center. So when they dismissed us early on Friday, March 30th, we were getting on buses to go home, and the bus drivers were yelling, put the windows up, because it does stop iodine-131, which is one of the radio, uh, radioactive isotopes that's released when a meltdown occurs. But we didn't listen. We're teenagers. It was unseasonably warm, so that should have been indicative that something was not right. So we're leaving, and here comes buses from Middletown and other outlining communities, because the governor of the state on that same day in addition to closing schools down, demanded a, an evacuation of pregnant women and small children had to leave within a five-mile radius around Three Mile Island. So they came to our school. Fast forward to 2009, my school, my old high school, looks the same, incredible. They changed the words up front. So instead of saying York, it used to be called York Senior High School, they changed it to York Learning Center. So I went through to, to take a tour of my old school because, you know, there's my AP English class and my AP history class and the, the gym where I played basketball in the auditorium. So it was just kind of tripping down memory, memory lane with my sixth grade teacher who I visit when I go home. So I said, well, who goes to school here now? And the lady giving the tour said, well, we service a population of children, kindergarten through 12th grade, who have either Asperger's or autism. Mm-hmm. And I look at Peggy and I'm like, how old? She's my math whiz. <laughs> I'm the writer. I go, how old were those those moms then? She goes, well, they were 14 to 25 years old, you know, X amount of years ago. So they were exposed. Their eggs were exposed. Their husbands were exposed. And this is what you get. You get children. Because all of a sudden, we have those words on our radar, autism, Asperger's. Why? Why? Because of nuclear since 1939. 30 locations where the Manhattan Project developed, where they process uranium to make plutonium to make the bomb. 99 reactors in the U.S., and 36 states with operating nuclear reactors. And if you don't have a nuclear reactor in your backyard or a nuclear waste site like cold water, Creek in St. Louis, Rocky Flats in Denver, you probably have a waste dump like Idaho National Laboratory in Idaho or Hanford in Washington. So, again, I have maps on my webpage, but it's just the more you dig, the more mortified I become, and no pun intended based on <laughs> who I'm speaking to. But it's just like, really? Is anyone paying attention? Does anyone know? And the answer is really no, we don't. And I didn't know. I didn't know how I got a brain tumor or why. So I asked all my doctors. I asked the neurosurgeons. I asked family members that are doctors, and pretty much they agreed with my assumption that, yeah, I probably inhaled a radioactive isotope, and this one would be um, cesium-137. You can also drink or eat food or water or milk that's been contaminated. Your body also will absorb another radioactive isotope called strontium-90. And if you go to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission webpage, they have a glossary. And strontium-90 is actually called the bone seeker because the body thinks that radioactive isotope is calcium. And it's like, yeah, come on in. So it's absorbed through the skin and you get it results in blood and bone cancers. Why do we have such an influx of children with leukemia? It's just nuts. And even in the state of Pennsylvania, 
Penn State is the big university there, and there's a lot of satellite campuses. Every year since, I'm going to say 19... 1994, it could have been even sooner than that, they started doing these dance-a-thons. They call it thong, T-H-O-N, where they get together and they dance for almost like 48 hours straight to raise money, not only for their classmates, but their siblings, because they have cancer. That alone, to me, is indicative that there's something wrong in Pennsylvania. You know, I'm somebody who's all the way out in Oregon, and I know how bad Stratonium-90 is, because even on cremation authorizations at funeral homes, it needs to be noted that someone has this absorbed into their body due to the high levels of radioactivity. And this is just somebody who's being cremated, not even walking the streets. Um, wow. Yeah, it's, it's bad stuff. And, you know, as you talk, Jill, you have this energy, this passion, this creative vision. You are championing a cause no one wants to tackle. And I think that sort of makes you the Aaron Brockovich of radiation and cancer <laughs> clusters. Uh, yeah, I know Aaron. I've talked to her and she is willing and able to help us. You know, she's been a consumer advocate since her namesake movie. And I think it was 2000 that came out. Uh, the story happened in 1995-96. It takes a while to make a movie, as I'm finding out. Um, but Cronium 6 is still on the water down in that area in Hinkley. Hinkley's a ghost town now. And what she does is goes she, when she shows up, people go to jail and lawsuits happen. But she said, Jill, I need with you know she's law firms that she works with. Um, I need more numbers. I need more people. And this sounds horrible, but I need more people with brain tumors, with skin cancer, with thyroid cancer, with prostate cancer, with gallbladder cancer, the 21 cancers. I need numbers because that's what will speak in court. I need evidence. Because right now I have smattering of all. I have over probably over 300 testimonials submitted on my web page. But like me, they get excited and they talk, especially one, one testimonial per person. But they're like my mom, my dad, my sister. And then there's 14 people on one testimonial, which will end up in court. So I have to go back and say, can you please redo this? Again, I'm only one person, but I'm trying to let people know. Because my mission is we need a greener earth. We need an earth that's healthier and happier because then we will be too. And right now we're not too healthy for multiple reasons, but the biggest one I see is nuclear. So again, what I'm trying to push and what I'm advocating is that the necessity now, not tomorrow, not in 2020 or 2025, now we need to go green and everyone can make a difference in that direction because we can vote with our purchases. If we buy, we're supporting that. If we don't buy, they hear you. So again, what what are we doing every day with what we purchase? You know, do you care? Little things, little things, you know, from carrying a reusable water bottle, a coffee cup, to taking mass transit, riding your bike. Again, just trying to disrupt the fossil fuel, the coal, the fracking, and of course my big bone of contention is nuclear. What I like is you're always trying to provide solutions and plans to everything, from how you're living your life to your storytelling. And also I love that you like to educate while you entertain. And the fact that you have written a feature film called Meltdown, it's based on true events. And this is truly based on your life, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't want to be on camera, so we'll have to hire you or another actor. <laughs> so that, that's where we are now. I'm, I'm in the process of raising the financing so we can hire a cast and crew. I want to create, I have, cre- I have created on paper a period piece, as they call it. So we'll time travel back to 1979 and recreate those moments, those five days that everyone was on pins and needles. We didn't know what was going on. I have newspapers from 1979. I have props from 1979. The good news is my friends do not throw things away. So I can just go, I need that TV, I need those suitcases, and we can recreate it. But it still costs money to make a feature film. So 
I'm raising funds to do that now, and then we'll attach talent. But, yeah, it will be my story. It won't be played by me. But it's like the Aaron Brockovich story meets the China syndrome. I want people to know. They need, and, I, you know, documentaries have been done, and people said you should do this as a doc. But the reality is I love docs. I love foreign films. But a lot of people won't listen to either or. So I want to tell my story in a story with, as my one friend calls, put knowledge bombs in there so they're educated, so they know. And yeah, I encourage them to do their own research, but I've done years and years of research so they can just read what I, you know, learn what I've learned and then expand on that. But that's where we're headed now. So, and with the anniversary coming up, um, it's becoming top of the table topics again. People are calling and asking what happened. Yeah, timely, important. I think you really helped disseminate a lot of the information about what people really should know about the exposure to radiation. I also know that you've invested your time and your own money in interviewing hundreds of Three Mile Island survivors, because I know you feel it's so vital to have their voices heard. Yeah, we actually, Christine Lehman and um, Joe Rodriguez, they're back on the East Coast. They set up a Three Mile Island survivor closed face group page just so that people can talk among each other and realize, you know, you're not crazy. It's not old age. It's not this or that, whatever you're discounting your, your disease or diagnosis to, you know, there's common ground. So there, there's about 5,000 of us talking actively on Facebook. And I know they are creating um, several events coming up as we get closer to the anniversary to get people to meet face-to-face, those that live in the area. So people are welcome to join that on Facebook if they or invite other people if they know someone that might benefit from having a support group in a you know a really informal support group. But we are together on that page trying to share information and and even advice. You know, when I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, I had no idea what to do. So you know, with insurance and medical and just things that you're going through, it's just helpful to have someone go, "Hey, it's okay. I went through it. This is what's going to happen, or this is what happened to me." But you might want to get some earplugs because they don't give you really good. Earplugs, when you have to get an MRI, go see the guys at ACE. They have really good ones, and they're not that expensive. (laughs) So little things that make, unfortunately, the journey that you have to go through a little more bearable. Yeah, totally. We are all in this together. Could you give that Facebook page in case somebody wants to take a look at it? Yeah, so they can just, if you go on Facebook, just search um, three, spell the word out, Three Mile Island. And it's called Three Mile Island because that's how long it is. The island's three miles long. Three Mile Island and then Survivors. We're not victims or survivors. We're people of Pennsylvania are pretty tough. We're like the salt of the earth. We don't like to air our dirty laundry, but when you push us, we're gonna talk. And we've been pushed a lot and lied to. In fact, one one note I want two notes I want to make about uh, meltdown is um, what happened in 1979. We did not know it melted down 50 percent until 1982. It was too hot to get in there. They finally got cameras in there, and one gentleman that's still alive, he went in put the camera down and had to get out because you would be exposed to more radiation than you're supposed to have in a year within a half-hour time period. Most of his team that has gone in have died of various cancers. So he's lucky. He's wondering why he's still here, but he's a wealth of information. It's been very helpful to me answering questions. I'm like, what's this? Why? You know, he's he's firsthand. He went into the reactor himself. Wow. So, so that's amazing. So what happened? I mean, from 1979 to 1982... What was happening? Were we being, it's invisible. We can't see it. And then the other thing that really burns me is that since 9-11, they now, the government, the Department of Health and 36 states that have operating nuclear reactors for free distribute potassium iodine, which is K1 is the short term, 
because it, it's an antidote to stop the uptake of iodine-131, the radioactive isotope that causes thyroid cancer. That's proven. But 1979, when President Carter issued an executive order saying or he ordered a quarter of a million dosages of this to stop thyroid cancer, they did not distribute. They were like, no, it's going to cause mass hysteria. We're not going to hand it out. And they didn't. And now Pennsylvania has one of the highest cases of thyroid cancer in the nation. And if that's not blatant emission of guilt, I don't know what is. And the fact that they give it away for free now, every year. So it's just, I just want to call Aaron and go, can we do something now? <laughs> There's so many people that are suffering. Another friend was diagnosed with two brain tumors last week. Mm. So I'm just floored again. And it just takes me back to the OR when I went in for my six-hour surgery. You know, am I going to come out of this? Am I going to? And I did. My husband's like, oh, great. Here she... I woke up and I was talking as much as I'm talking now. And I go, I have an idea for a movie. I have an idea for a lot of movies. I need paper and pencil. And he's like, oh, my God, Jill, you just had brain surgery. I'm like, it's okay. I'm all right. So I was very lucky. I was very fortunate. It wasn't cancerous. But again, for six months, we didn't know. They kind of guessed that it wasn't, but they wouldn't know until they opened my head up, which was wonderful. That it came out benign, but oh, not yeah. many. Thank many God. of my friends weren't. Yeah, so I have a gift of talking and writing and sharing information, and I will continue to do that in all my movies. So not only Meltdown, but I'm doing another one. Two films are that's what production companies do. Film production companies. So I have two movies in production. One is Meltdown about the nuclear accident in 1979. But also Chance Day, which is about a woman who's been diagnosed with lung cancer, even though she's never smoked a day in her life. So she's reeling from, what am I doing? Look at the life I'm living now. Does it make, does it matter? Am I doing anything that really matters? What, am I, what about my daughter, my husband? So she is trying to come to grips with what she's been given. But the backstory is, and, uh, I, and people can look on my webpage and <laughs> read the synopsis, but she, the log line for this movie, Chance Day, is that, she, the two women have been mistakenly given each other's diagnosis. There is one woman that does smoke, but the doctor feels it's his duty, and he's not a real doctor. Here's the spoiler alert. He is an actor that's out of work, and he goes around imposing as different types of characters in his town to practice his craft at the expense of other people. But that's he terrible. made both women, I know, but he made both women wake up. The one woman realized what she was doing wasn't doing anyone any favor, so she changed her whole life. And the other woman realized, well, heck, I'm still here. I thought I was going to be out of here by now because I have these cancer sticks in my pocket and smoking them all the time. She starts helping um, children in silent situations at home. So, again, every movie has to have conflict. Every movie has to have resolution. And in my opinion, I feel, I feel it's nice to point out the problems, the spot like this and that, but I think it's also very important to get solutions. And people go, okay, I don't want to do that, I'm to, oh, but I'll do that. I'll try that, or at least think about that, or at least talk about that. And that's something. So my movie will be one that hopefully spins in your head after you walk out of the theater. <laughs> and make, you know, get, hopefully get people to, to start talking and maybe even acting. Absolutely. I think that people aren't always aware, like you said, that films are a process. It takes donations and funding. Sometimes there's fiscal sponsors. Other times, independent movie makers can um, take all the help that they can get because they need to raise funds to get things going. So where can listeners find information about you? Which website? Um, I finally did a website. I'm like the shoemaker with, you know, the kids have no shoes. So I finally, all my films have their own social media except me. So I finally made one. It's, it's basically the name of my company, which is JML. So www.jml for Jill Murphy Long. Um, films. I don't even know my own. Films.com. So let me do this again. www.jmlfilms with an S.com. 
if you Google my name, Jill Murphy Long, so like Jill, like Jack and Jill, Murphy, like Murphy's Law, and Long, opposite of short, now it's really confusing, right? <laughs> They'll be able to find me and find the webpage. But Meltdown's on there. Chance Day's on there. The 30 short films I've, I've done, either written, directed, and or produced about women's issues, the Holocaust, about going green. There's All my passions are in these various films in one capacity or another because I just feel it's up to us to make a difference. And not tomorrow, but today. You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM The Truth. Thank you to my guest, Jill Murphy Long. Her website, www.jmlfilms.com. And incidentally, her initials, JML, Justice, Mercy, Love. Her films are really based on those ethics, and so is her film company. Until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other. <laughs>